<coughs> so uh, welcome everybody, really, uh, really warm welcome to uh, each and every one of you. Um, I know that I know some of you and there's some of you that I, d- I don't know and I haven't met yet and um, I'm really looking forward to that and especially welcome to you and uh, welcome to you if you're new to Guy House. So welcome to the retreat, welcome to Guy House, to everyone. Um, I'm really happy to be here, happy to be able to do this. Um, more, more than happy, I've been quite excited actually for a little while, so uh, really glad. Let me please introduce Sari. Some of you will know her, but uh, many of you might not. Sari is with us. And uh, at the end, as you can see, is Kirsten, who some of you already know, and not Robert. Um, <coughs> I will explain explain what uh what's happening there. So we have Sari and Kirsten, and, um, uh, but I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. Um, <coughs> I have uh, wanted to teach, I've done a lot of teaching of jhanas individually, one-to-one, but I've wanted to teach a group jhana retreat for I think about 16 years. Um, so finally, um, with some very strange sort of conditions that have to come together to actually allow this to to manifest um so feel in a in a way actually for many reasons it's a it's a kind of a small miracle that this is happening um uh, originally well i'll come back to that in a sec so um yeah many reasons that make it a small real miracle that we have this uh time together and this opportunity and this chance for something that I think is is such a a beautiful um, realm of possibility for human beings and and for meditation practice, such a a treasure trove. Um, So it's a really, really precious thing uh, for me to be able to teach it and um, I hope uh, by the end of it you'll you'll realize also how precious it really is. it's partly a miracle because it's quite complicated for me health-wise at the moment. There's a lot of um, things I need to do to, to just to be able to be here, etc. I have a lot of medical appointments over the time we have together. There's a lot of practical stuff, just getting my medicines and gear. So a lot of, don't need to go into it, but a lot of stuff there. Originally, I asked Robert to, to come and assist us. And he said, I'd love to. Um, I need to check with my employers. And, uh, and they came back and said, well, we won't be able to tell you until, um, I can't remember when it was. Um, so we said, let's just gamble. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> and it turned out that they said, no, you, you can't have that time off. Um, so Robert's going to join. And then Kirsten, who's actually, it was her idea. The whole retreat was her idea in the first place. So we've got her to thank for that. There was strange set of circumstances and it was her idea. And Kirsten very uh, kindly, uh, she had been planning to sit the retreat and have this time to nourish her own practice. And so she very kindly stepped in to take Robert's place until Robert arrives, um, I think in five or six days or something. So at that point, Kirsten will uh, be relieved of her, her teaching duties and be able to just give herself to uh, her practice, and Robert will, will step in. Um, but we'll, we'll 
obviously let let you know, but you, you may not notice because you might be so deep in. <laughs> we'll we'll let you know. Um, another part of the, the small miracle is that Sari has a, 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 um, a family and a lovely little baby boy, a toddler, um, Eliel, and. Uh, because of his young age, could only be here if he could be here. And that meant her partner, Hunger, needed to be here. So they are here as a family. Um, and you will see them wandering in and out. You will probably see and hear Eliel playing uh, in the Guy House grounds. And uh, it's his playground, right? So that's uh, part of the conditions that allowed this retreat. And I think it's actually uh, a lovely thing, you know. It's a, it's a really um, uh, delightful thing, you know. So, um, actually, ask the teacher, ask the teachers. Seriously, yeah, because because a lot. What I'll get into a lot about this practice is very individual. Okay, it can sound like formulaic or technical, or whatever. But something there may be reasons why exactly that sort of thing at some point might be really helpful and actually not so helpful for uh, or the same person at different times, you know, so. <coughs> but generally, he's going to be around, you'll see him, you'll hear him, and it's a delight. Yeah. So tonight, um, quite a lot I want to get through, so I hope you all had a good rest and are feeling bright and refreshed. Um, I want to say mostly stuff about orienting to this retreat and... Um, you know, what that involves and things to bear in mind um, during the retreat. So originally, part of what allowed this retreat to come up, I can't remember exactly, was that Guy House was going to shut down for a period for some major building renovation works. And somehow, and Kirsten had this idea, and I can't remember exactly, and then they, they asked me, well, would, would you do this while that's going on? Um, and, and of course, oh, so Guy House is going to be a building site with da da da, and you want me to teach the jhana retreat? <laughs> um, and I said, sure. Um, because, and I really want to emphasize this, it's okay to have noise. It was, it was right from the beginning, we, we got a different attitude. We're not coming in here, putting the blinkers on, putting the earplugs in, anything, it's all bothering me, it's all bothering me, I just want to shut everything out. Um, no. There's, there's an attitude of openness and inclusivity. We do not want our, our jhanas, our samadhi, to be brittle. You know what brittle means? It means something shatters very easily. We want it to be soft, pliant, open, yeah, open-hearted, etc. One of my uh, uh, teachers, Ajahn Jeff, some of you will know him, when he, he moved to Thailand to become a monk, so he, he'd hardly meditated before. He was in, in, he was in the monastery, um, and this monastery had just moved. Uh, in fact, they were building a new site for it. So where he learned to meditate initially was a building site. And it was just like, no one was like, oh, that's a terrible problem. It's just, it's, it's fine. What's the problem? So a different attitude to all this. Uh, that's much more about openness, not brittle. Uh, and so Eliel, uh, Sari's son, that's, that's all part of it. When someone asked the, the Buddha, or in the context of his teaching, I can't remember exactly, exactly he said it a few times, what, what does jhana depend on? What does samadhi depend on? And he said, it depends on happiness. 
Jhana depends on happiness. Now he could have answered all kinds of things, and a lot of us would expect him to answer, it depends on uh, staying, really nailing your mind to something, and then you'll get to jhana. Right? That's the way most people think about it. Or it depends on getting away from uh, people who make noise and being in a, maybe a sensory deprivation tank, whatever the Pali for that is. And, but he didn't say that. He said, dependent on happiness. So that's interesting. You know, that's, that's really interesting to reflect on. I, may, I have a sense that many of the things I will say tonight, um, it's possible that you may not realize just how significant they are. I, I know I, I haven't met some of you yet, and I'm already insulting you, but, um, <laughs> but, but um, this is th- somehow we have, to get, we have to get the view right. We have to get the view right. The view is the platform and the whole uh, relationship right. So if I say something like that, or the Buddha said, jhanas depend on happiness. That should set you thinking. When I see some of you writing it down, it's important. So, oh, now I have to take that with me through the retreat because that has implications on a moment-to-moment level, on a micro-moment, about your choices, about your attitude, about how you're relating to whatever it is you're paying attention to at the moment, the breath or whatever it is. Do you, do you understand? <coughs> um, so what do... What, what I'm saying tonight, what, what does it have to do with the relationship with practice and how important that is, and the relationship with this practice, and the relationship with the goal, and the whole conceptual framework? This is absolutely key. Um, so how, how, how are we going to listen? How are you going to listen to Dharma talks? Um, can you listen on your toes? Do you know what I mean by that? I mean just what I said. Like If something comes out like jhanas depend on happiness... I can kind of let that wash over me and, or maybe barely registers. Or actually, hmm, that sets me, now I, maybe I should reflect on that and recalibrate and do something about it. So that's what I mean by listening on your toes. Does it make sense? Yeah? <coughs> I mean, obviously sometimes I'm going to unpack things and elaborate and explain, but sometimes a um, bit, more, bit more work from the listener, a bit more active from the listener is really helpful. Okay, let's start with just a couple of practical things. Um, the daily schedule, as some of you, you might have noticed, um, is pretty open. There's not a lot on there. I don't know if you've seen it, but it sort of says breakfast, lunch, dinner, I think. In there. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is, what that means is this hall is open 24 hours a day uh, for the duration of the retreat. And you can sit in here at any time for as long as you want. Okay. Um, and generally speaking, once you get into the rhythm, you, you might, you might, for instance, be doing a walking period, and then it's 20 minutes before lunch, and you know you have to have lunch at a certain time because you're on lunch washout. Let's say, well, so you can still come in here for 20 minutes. You know, just whenever it is. Um, if you have the time, though, and I'll explain this more as we go on, you probably want to give a sitting a bit more to see what happens, a bit more than 20 minutes, you know, 40, 45 minutes, an hour or something, see what happens, you know. 
Um, but BASIC is an open schedule. People are coming and going whenever, okay? Except, if I get this right, where is the thingy? Um, okay, except, thank you, Kirsten. Except 6.45 to breakfast is <coughs> um, everyone in here. Now, you can arrive early for that. So you can arrive at 4.45 or 5.45. But once we hit 6.45, you can't come in or leave. You know what I'm saying? So, but basically, it's a group here. We want everyone here at that time just to cohere together. And also, what was the other one? Nine, nine o'clock. Nine p.m. The same thing again. You can arrive early. You can stay much later. You can stay well into the night, whatever. But during that period, let's say nine to nine thirty, it's uh, you wouldn't uh, arrive or, or leave. Does that make sense? Yeah. <coughs> um, the teachings. Uh, okay, we're going to start uh, with the teachings aim to have a block of teachings from 4 to 5.30 every day <coughs> in the afternoon. That's the aim. But uh, we may change that, and we may change it either just a little bit, so, oh, we need to start at 3.45 today, or, or whatever it is, or 4.30, or whatever. <coughs> um, or we might change it quite drastically. In other words, no, we're shifting everything to the morning. Okay. So you need to keep your eye on the notice board and just see. If it doesn't change, it's just 4, like it says, and it will probably go till 5.30. Um, but partly, again, dependent on I'm taking some new drugs that I'm not, not used to yet. I'm not sure how it's going to be. Um, so it, it will depend on a lot of different things. But we'll aim for 4 to 5.30 every day. Okay. And unless, but check it. It means check <coughs> until 2.30. Um, it probably won't be changed for that day until 2.30. You understand? So up to 2.30, just, just check once in a while. So, so open schedule, what does that mean? It means that the onus of responsibility is on you guys, right? Is on you to, um, to, to f find a structure of uh, a, a, a temporal structure and a practice structure that works for you. The onus is on you to be responsive and sensitive to your practice and the needs and the, the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs and what is needed right now. Do I need to go out and do some walking? Do I need to sit longer with whatever is happening? Do I need to actually go for a walk and open my mind and, and uh, touch the beauty and be touched by beauty? Do I need a cup of tea? Yeah. Um, what it also means, having an open schedule, is that, uh, obviously, uh, be, try and be relatively quiet when you come in. But basically, it, it, people will be coming and leaving at any point. And so the job of the comer or the lever is to try and be relatively quiet as, they, as you set up your stuff and leave. And the job of the person who's already here when there's a comer and lever is to be spacious. And it's part of that, we're not into brittle jhanas. We're not into brittle samadhi. You understand? It's cool. Someone's coming to practice. How wonderful. Right? It, it, this is really, really important. Don't, don't underestimate how much, a particularly a jhana practice, can get derailed into, an ex, you know, into a kind of a burrow tunnel of irritation, for example. When you set up goals, that can happen. So two jobs for the person who's here, openness, warmth, welcoming, non-brittle jhanas. The job for the comer and goer is, yeah, I'm relatively sensitive. People are practicing. I want to, you understand? <coughs> okay. 
So one of the interesting challenges of teaching a group retreat of jhanas rather than teaching it individually is um, that you all have are at completely different levels, have different backgrounds in dharma in terms of what you've been taught and different um, amounts of experience with the jhanas. It's a room full of very, everyone's different. How, how to teach a group uh, that has different, different levels like that, and different backgrounds and different experiences. Since they're taught a lot individually, and usually when, when I teach individually, I, I don't even use the word jhana for a while. And I might not even use the word piti. Some of you will talk about these words, piti. It means rapture or ecstasy or something like that. Well, I don't even use that. I'm more just listening to what the person is reporting. And if they use a certain word, or it feels bubbly, then I'll go with that. And then one really work with their vocabulary and their sense of things and their experience as it unfolds. And at a certain point, we introduce the jhana language and framework and, and map. So that's not really going to work for, for a group. So still there's this challenge, um, <coughs> how to do that. So there will be interviews, and we'll explain later tonight, I think, about the interviews, how that will work. Plenty, plenty of interviews, in fact, lots and lots of interviews. So lots of chance to really ask and get a lot of feedback, get a lot of guidance about uh, all kinds of things. Um, but there will also hopefully be quite a few Q&As. So a lot of chance for you to ask in both the interviews and the Q&As whatever is pertinent, whatever is relevant to your practice now, at that point. Yeah? So in terms of this, you're all at different levels, take advantage of the meetings and, and the Q&As, yeah? because the teaching will be moving along at whatever rate, and it, it's only going to kind of coincide <laughs> at, at a certain point you know, with where, where you're at and your, your trajectory. Uh, so we will be, we're open to teaching, we will be teaching all eight jhanas. Um, and um, we want to emphasize keeping them really alive. So it's not like you do one and then you forget about it because uh, I'm just into the eighth jhana or whatever. We want to emphasize keeping them alive. What we also want to emphasize, the way, of, the way of what I want to kind of encourage is each of us to find the playground at your edge, your playground at your edge. So I'm going to explain more what I mean by that um, as, we, as we go on and tomorrow, etc., and other days. But so uh, it, it means like, w where is the edge that I'm kind of learning new stuff? I've mastered this, and I'll explain what I mean by mastery. I've mastered this before, and now this is my edge. I can kind of get it sometimes and kind of... It's not what I really have, you know, what's just no hope of doing. It's, it's at my edge. And that becomes your playground. That's where you hang out most, and that's where you work, and that's where you play, and that's where you learn. So each of us needs to find what that, where that playground is right now. And most of your time you will spend in that playground. Um, now, in terms of the teachings, uh, let's say that playground is, I'm just learning how to get into the first jhana. Okay, great. That's absolutely fantastic. And that's your playground. You need to probably be there for a while. And a few days later, uh, you know, I might talk about the first jhana. It's great. It's right on target. And, and then you're still in that playground, and you need to be. And, and now the teachings have progressed, and I'm talking about the second jhana. 
fine, no problem. You stay in your playground, right? You understand? This is, this is a different way than some of you might be familiar with. Um, but I really want to emphasize that. Um, you know, people are so different with jhanas, but really one month or two months of retreat time, means you're doing nothing else but meditate, is not too much to learn one jhana. Okay, so we have three weeks, um, which is a, a fantastic amount of time to really, you know, get a sense of territory and material and open new things. But in terms of the way I want to teach, and I'll explain why as the days go by, I want to emphasize this kind of playground idea. Um, it's, uh, we're kind of, pacing is really important. It's part of the art. Yeah? So, um, I What's this going to mean in terms of listening to teachings? Does it mean you take notes about what might come, what might be relevant for you in four days' time, or two weeks' time, or it's a little tricky, you know? Um, but basically, you're going to get a lot of material, some of which is not relevant for you now. And then we can say, "Well, I'll listen to the recordings," you know, or you could make notes. I mean, you can always ask, of course, but. Um, I don't know any other way of doing it, or any, way, any other way of doing it in a way that I would feel is fruitful. So everyone's going to have that issue at some point. If you've done jhana practice before, uh, as I, I know some of you have, and you think, or you have a sense, well, my playground is, let's say you think, oh, my playground's the second jhana, or my playground's the sixth jhana, it doesn't matter, whatever it is. Please, in the next few days, if you, you have a sense, now I've really, I, I know all the rest, that this is where I'm at, please check with one of us and get it sort of um, confirmed, if you like. Because people mean very different things by jhanas and people mean different things by mastery and where we're at. I really, I will explain why, why I feel this is important. But just come and check. So, um, and we must say, great, okay, yeah, second jhana about there. This is what you need to do now. This is your playground. Or you might feel like, oh, um, it might work both ways. No, I, I, I only know the second jhana, but, or I, I'm, my playground is the sixth jhana. And actually, we thought, well, actually, in terms of the kind of level we're talking about, or mastery, we want, reckon, reckon you're around the, s the second is your playground, yeah? So just come and have that kind of dialogue with us, yeah? Or it might be the other way around. You think, and we say, well, no, you, that's cool. Well, you've got that mastered. You can, you can go on to beyond where you think you are, or whatever. Does that sound okay? So, but, but just check, because this, this idea of playground is really important to how, how things are going to really kind of ferment in a way that's going to be really fruitful, how, how the seeds are going to get planted um, so that they really bear, um, you know, lovely, nourishing, lifelong nourishing fruit. So that's why I'm emphasizing this playground business, and I'll come back to it. So, so you're mostly in your playground until you kind of get mastery of that level, and we'll explain what we mean by mastery. You might do, let's say it was the third one, you're still going to be a little time in the first and the second, if the third is your playground. Um, uh, and occasionally, the mind or you will just, something beyond it will open, and great, have a little fun occasionally. But mostly, this is my playground. This is where it's delineated, yeah? Um, we're going to teach, I'll explain all this again, but we're not going to teach like, okay, let's say it's the fifth jhana, then every time I sit down, I have to go, Breath, one, two, three, four, and then, then the fifth or whatever. You can just dive right in or, yeah. So we're not going to, it's really, most of your time is in your playground. Hmm? 
Um, and even if you think, oh yeah, it's that, whatever, still there should be really quite helpful teachings um, pertaining to what, what seem to pertain to levels that are below where you're at. So everything we have to say about really basic practice, working with the breath or metta, whatever it is, um, that should still be uh, useful to you, in, um, uh, even if you've gone beyond that. Yeah? So I, the way I would see jhanas is um, they're potentially lifelong explorations. Um, there's so much gift available there, so much um, profundity of, of resource and, and beauty, so much uh, subtlety to explore, so much to explore that's actually you don't find written. It's not in the suttas, it's not in a lot of other stuff that you find written. There's all kinds of possibilities here. So I'd like us, if, if you know, I'd want to invite you to have that really long view. And part of that long view is this, is this playground business. Okay. Um, if you've been on retreat at Guy House before or lived here or something, you might know that you can get to Newton Abbott that way. <coughs> up towards Denbury on the lanes, it's uh, south. You might also know that you can get to Newton Abbott that way, north. You can also get to Newton Abbott that way, east, and you can also get to Newton Abbott that way, west. It's just the way the lanes work <laughs> around here. Why am I saying that? Partly because um, I would say that First I thought, well, if you can get to the first jhana, then they're all open to you. But actually I'd like to even modify that statement and say, if you can, if you can get piti, if, if piti can arise, if this um, well-being can arise, like this lovely well-being can arise, then the whole territory is open to you. So the whole territory of the jhanas is open to you. What that means, practically speaking, is what's really significant is how do we get to how do we get that PT to arise, or how do we allow that PT to arise is a better way of putting it. The lovely news is PT is just like Newton Abbott. Um, <laughs> only in some respects. Um, um, if you've been there, you might be relieved to hear that. Um, that um, meaning that it, it, it doesn't really matter how, you get how that PT arises. And I would say anything goes. Anything goes. So any kind of, quote, concentration practice that you might be, uh, have heard of already or you haven't heard of or whatever, it might be an insight practice, it might be something else, it might be something that you describe to someone and they're like, what the hell has that got to do with concentration or whatever? If it gives rise to that PT, if it allows that PT to open, it's great, it's good. Yeah, uh, we will give more details to what I'm saying now. So there's all these different possibilities. And in the first few days of the retreat, a couple of things. Uh, we're going to put out, I'm going to put out quite uh, a few different possibilities of what I want to call a base practice or a springboard practice. So like breath or metta or um, insight practices or whatever, or different ways of working with the breath, um, energy body, etc. These are what I might call yeah, a base practice to work towards getting into the jhanas or, or um, a springboard into piti or whatever. Um, 
What that means is for the first, I don't know, five, six seven days of the retreat, it's quite, there's quite a lot of teaching. Um, it'll still be one session a day, hopefully. And, but there's quite a lot of material because I want to make sure that for someone that it doesn't work to go that way to Newton Abbott, they have that way. And, and if you're not sure, well, I've tried these different, I'm not sure, then you can try a few things. Yeah? Um, this is really important. There will also be, amongst all that, all kinds of other information, teaching that should be, should be helpful. Um, but it will be more dense in terms of teaching in the first week or so. Um, insight ways of looking can also give rise to PT. And by insight ways of looking, I mean, I actually mean very specifically, um, some of you will know, actually I mean very specific, the, the practices that I've written about in my book, Seeing the Freeze. Um, uh, so if you don't uh, know what that means, you're not familiar with it, just, just forget it. We won't be giving a lot of teachings about that, but I'm just saying that right now. Uh, insight can be used, and we'll explain this again, as an occasional unblocker that unblocks the energy, that unblocks contraction and clinging, and allows well-being and PT and samadhi. Uh, so that's one way of using insight practice. Some people use it as their main thing. It's the main thing that opens up um, samadhi and well-being and PT. Uh, it unfabricates. Insight practices unfabricate. They lessen fabrication. And uh, that's very key, and we'll come to explain that more. Is everyone here? Can't see. Boaz and Monica. Ah, it's just my eyesight. Okay, thanks. Um, so, uh, if you're not familiar with what that means, insight ways of looking and all that, just leave it, forget it. Here, here's something. If you already know that practice X, whatever practice X is, reliably and easily for you gives, takes you into jhana or takes, gives rise to PT that's kind of stable and you can work with it, um, if you already know that, if you already know that, stick with it. Yeah. So it, there's no there's no reason to change that. You've got something that takes you to Newton Abbott, and then and then you're good. <coughs> yeah. Um, if you're not sure, then try some some of what we'll be gradually um, uh, offering in the next few days. But really, then we want to settle to one base practice, one springboard practice. The talks on this retreat, I'm mostly going to talk really about technique in, in the broader sense of the word, uh, art, let's say, the art of jhana practice, the art of samadhi, and also about, as I said, view, the view and relationship and framework, how we're seeing that is so crucial. So I'm, I'm mostly just talking about, almost entirely just talking about that. Um, there will be no big new philosophical conceptual frameworks that blow your sense of existence, etc. Um, unless some of you don't uh, already know how I would put the jhanas into a framework and how I would see insight, in which case then it might be like, well, what's that? Because it's quite different. But generally speaking, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm not going to be trying to. I won't bring up really radical questions that kind of get you all agitated. Um, 
and turn everything upside down, etc. So it's mostly really just about the art of, of jhana practice. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know. It partly means, in relation to stuff I've said earlier, that you're responsible uh, for your inspiration on this retreat. You're responsible for your sense of inspiration. Because uh, there's no, I'm not going to be telling any stories, there's no poems, there's no, uh, none of all that stuff. The Buddha said, jhanas dependent on happiness. Jhanas are dependent on happiness. Of course, jhanas give rise to happiness. I mean, tremendous happiness. And really, if you've not, if you've not experienced um, you know, the jhanic realms, it's, like, it's happiness. I think we can safely say that the, the, the w- you will not have tasted something like that before. It's really, really extraordinary. Something really, really remarkable. Uh, and that opens in a hum- for a human being. So jhanas bring happiness, but they also depend on happiness. So you're responsible for your inspiration. You're responsible for your happiness as the basis of your jhana practice. Um, without stories, without poems, without uh, interesting philosophy, etc. So how are we going to do that? Um, where's that kind of base happiness come from? I'll say a little bit now, I'll say a little bit later. Um, appreciation. So, so much about this practice is really about taking care of your heart I, at every level and every direction. What does it mean to take care of your heart? And again, y- you, you may not realize just how significant <laughs> some of this is. And if you haven't practiced this way before, if you're used to very different ways of thinking of, of retreat, thinking what it means to be a practice, you may not realize just how significant this is. What does it mean to be here in these days together in community in a beautiful place in the countryside and to make sure every day that the heart um, is is, uh, encouraged to feel appreciation and to reverberate with appreciation for your fellow meditators, for the Dharma, for the Buddha, for uh, uh, the, the, for the beautiful nature, for the coordinators at Guy House who set this up, for other helpers, and I'll introduce them later, all the conditions that came. What does it mean to take care of appreciation, to be on retreat, orienting and, and supporting the heart to be in an appreciative mode? This is way more significant than most people would realize. Gratitude is all part of the same thing. Taking care of inclining the mind and the heart to, to, uh, to gratitude, to seeing what there is to be grateful for and to feeling that gratitude. Every day, a number of times, you can do it formally, you can do it informally, it could just be woven into your natural way of being, hopefully it becomes that. Beauty, beauty, so important. The heart, the eyes, the senses are open to beauty. Connection with each other, with nature. Uh, Openness, generally openness of being, openness of heart, love of the Dharma. These are the kind of things that nourish, that will allow that base level of happiness on which the jhanas can then be built or open, whatever whatever metaphor we want to use. In a word, mudita is the Pali word. So oftentimes it gets translated as um, 
sympathetic joy. I would prefer the translation appreciative joy or spiritual joy. It means it's, it's not just the joy in someone else's happiness. It's really all those, it is that, and it's all those things I just talked about as well. That's what mudita means in its broader sense, and that's, I think, how the Buddha meant it. Um, all that, while at the same time, your primary focus and your primary intention and you're spending most of your time doing jhana practice, working on that in, in formal practice. So yes, connection with nature, but if you then... Let's get the mic. Um, Okay, um, so yes, connection with nature is important. If then you feel moved by the great Devon god of mud and rain to create a great mud sculpture outside uh, to express your connection, no, <laughs> not on this retreat. Another time, great, and it might be, oh, it's really soul making. It's another time, okay. <laughs> Most of your time is in formal practice doing, doing uh, jhana, doing towards the jhanas. But the heart is open and you're taking care of that nourishment. You understand? Um, uh, or similarly, like connection with each other, you know. Uh, it's a silent retreat and guys will speak about that. Um, so most of the time it's formal practice and you c can I feel, that can I have that openness? Can I have that connection with nature, with each other um, without having to kind of act on it so, so kind of uh, let's say, disruptively. Um, Open-heartedness, in a nutshell, op the openness of heart, of soul, of being, easily outweighs, easily out-trumps, um, let's say, focus or concentration in terms of its significance for jhana practice. Openness of heart, openness of being. And it's not to say focus and concentration is not important, but just <coughs> relative importance. If you're familiar with um, soul-making dharma practice, um, one, one way of adding to what we just said is you also, part of what makes you happy here while you're here is that you have a fantasy of the retreat. If you're not familiar with soul-making, just forget about this. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to explain it. I'm just throwing it out very briefly. Um, just don't worry about it. You need a fantasy in the good sense of the retreat. You need a fantasy of yourself as a practitioner. You know, juicy, soul-making, beautiful image fantasy of yourself. Something that's operating in the background. A fantasy of the tradition. These teachings, these jhana teachings, have been going for thousands of years, passed on from teacher to student, etc. Thousands of years. There's a tradition of, the, of these arts, the, these beauties, these treasures being passed on. Fantasy of all that. Um, fantasy of the whole tradition. It's all part of it. That's part of your happiness and nourishment. But on this retreat, it doesn't become so dominant that you then go into a whole big imaginal practice about all that. Maybe occasionally if you need to kind of recalibrate your whole, I've gotten into a real rut here or, or whatever it is, or I've gotten really tight or whatever. But generally not. So, so these fantasies operate in the background. They're, they're almost subliminal. That's what I mean when I use the word fantasy as opposed to image. They're almost subliminal. They're just kind of really nourishing and supporting our whole, our whole lubricating our whole sense uh, of, of what we're doing, giving moisture there, giving beauty and depth. 
So if you don't know what that means because you're not familiar with it, just forget about it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But you're going to have to, because of the schedule, because of the teachings, because we're not going to be at the front a lot, um, we're not going to be doing, you know, every 20 minutes piping up and say, you know, can you feel your bum or whatever. Um, you have to generate and sustain the energy um, without the teachers leading a lot of meditations and with the open schedule. You have to generate the energy and sustain it. Um, what's really helpful also is to open your intention. Open your intention. Why are you here? What's it serving? Who are you serving? You're sitting, you're walking, you're standing, you're showing up consistently in the hall. People see you out there doing the walking meditation in the walking room, etc. That's a tremendous gift to each other. It's so supportive when someone sees you showing up um, again and again and again. Um, it's an uh, inspiration. It communicates commitment. It helps. It helps. Uh, you're helping each other by doing that. What's my intention? Open the intention beyond just me and my practice and how I feel. Why am I here? What am I serving? Who am I serving? Don't assume you are irrelevant. How common it is, one, one of the pathologies in Western culture mixed with its opposites often, is to just not realize how relevant we are, how we make a difference. Yes, you as an individual, your presence, your character, your soul, your vibe. Don't assume you're irrelevant. Don't assume you don't make a difference. Don't assume that in silence you don't make a difference. So open up the intention. This is really important. And again, it could be just a natural part, it could be something very brief, it could be something you do formally again and again. And then, of course, the intention for all beings. Why are you here? Who are you doing this for? Who are you serving? What are you serving? Again, um, your happiness and your equanimity. You set a goal, oh, I want to, heard about these jhanas, I want to get them. And then it doesn't go so well. And then we need equanimity with that. That's the whole thing. We're going to talk about it. Part of what gives us equanimity is I'm not just doing this for myself. I'm showing up when it is going really not well and it sucks and it's raining again in Devon and whatever it is. And I'm doing this for other people. That p that's part of what keeps you steady through the ups and downs. You understand? Re open up the intention. Okay, does everyone know what the word inertia means? Anyone not know what that means? Uh, okay, <coughs> watch out for Henry, inertia. What's your first language, Henry? What's your first language? <coughs> first language, Swedish. Does anyone know the Swedish for inertia? Thank you. Lovely, thank you very much. So, oh, okay. Um, well, inertia briefly is e either, uh, it's a thing from physics, so e something that's stationary, you need to work to make it move. And something that's already moving, you need to work to make it change its movement. 
you know, either stop or go in a different direction. So what I want to say is watch out for inertia. Watch out for inertia. How often, especially a lot of you have been practicing for years, if not decades, and how easily it's, uh, we can kind of just do what we usually do. Um, and we kind of avoid the effort or the discomfort or the disturbance of trying something new in practice sometimes. So there's even a default, <coughs> certainly a default way of working with the breath. I just always do it th this way. Or a default way of breathing. Uh, you know, it's unconscious. You know, I just always breathe. I don't really pay attention to how I breathe. So, and it's a bit uncomfortable to try and play with the breath and make it breathe differently. Um, <coughs> or which practice we do. Well, I tend to stick away from, stay away from metta or whatever it is. Um, or, as I mentioned earlier, we c there can be inertia about how we listen to Dharma talks. Uh, so I maybe always go into this kind of like... <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's just like, you know, let it just wash, wash right through. Um, so maybe if you're used to that, it might say, w what would it be to listen on your toes? and really listen with a discerning mind. What does that imply? And oh, what's the exact difference? How is that different what I've just heard to what I am um, used to hearing or what I think I know or whatever? Um, so, <coughs> jhanas, one of the fruits of jhanas is malleability of mind. Malleability. Everyone knows what that means? It means shape, shapeability. One of the fruit, one of the, actually one of the most significant, and uh, we'll talk about this, one of the most significant fruits of jhana practice is malleability. Uh, malleability of consciousness, perception, mind. Like so many things, jhanas lead to malleability. Guess what? Malleability leads to jhanas. In other words, it's a condition for jhanas. So malleability in, in now is the opposite of inertia. You've got to get in there and try different things. In your playground, oh, I've never played on that whirly swing before. Well, get on it and give it a go. Uh, and that might mean something very subtle about what you're doing, or it might mean a different practice or, or whatever it is. Jhanas lead to malleability, malleability leads to jhanas. In other words, malleability is a, it, you, wo you won't access jhanas unless you're willing to be malleable and you play and you play and, and, and get into trying different things. You've got to be, in a way, practicing on your toes, ready, responsive, as we'll talk a lot about this. Um, <coughs> so, So malleability on one hand, at the same time with it, we want um, firm, clear, simple intention or resolve. So it's a kind of complement to malleability. What's, what's, in other words, we are here to do jhana practice. I'm very clear. That's my priority. That's what I'm here for. And that's clear. It's very simple. Uh, it's complex what it involves, but the intention is simple, and it's a resolve, and it's firm. It's clear, simple, and firm. Again, this is immensely significant. It doesn't sound like a big deal. It will make or break your practice, dependent on some intention, if you're not, if you're not uh, kind of taking care of that. So, when I say jhana practice, now again, I'll elaborate on a lot of what I'm talking about here. I mean including the hindrances, including working with the difficulties. So when I say jhana practice, I mean also working with the difficulties, the yucky stuff, the, the, the slug, the sludge, and, sl and slogging your way through it, etc. 
I mean also when I say jhana practice, the whole relationship with practice, the whole view of the self doing the practice and trying to do the practice. I mean the whole relationship with goals and effort, um, the whole conceptual framework of all that, the self as meditator, all that is included in what I call jhana practice, not just the lovely bits about how to move from the second to the third jhana or whatever. Uh, okay, so malleability and clear, simple, firm resolve in doing jhana practice. What that means, practically speaking, is it's too much to then add, oh great, three weeks at Guy House. Um, you know, I've always, metta's always been easy and familiar to me, and when I've tried breath practice, I always get this kind of constriction in my throat, so maybe I'll use this retreat, see if I can clear up that constriction. Um, no, okay, not, I mean, it may happen, it may not happen, but that, don't make it an intention. Uh, Mm, go with, as I said before, go with, or to say what I said before in a different way, go with whatever practice is easiest for the, for the well-being, the PT, to arise. And listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying go with whatever practice you feel you can stick with the object the longest for. Go with whatever practice is the easiest for the well-being to arise. Okay? So I'm not trying to fix this constriction in my neck. I'm also not going to, oh, three weeks I can also develop my yoga practice and get into that or perfect my lotus pose or whatever or, you know, kick my caffeine habit or whatever. All of these may be really good things, but they, uh, it, once we start expanding the intention that way, it, it actually, in a subtle way, it starts to, it starts to fray something, okay? Okie doke. So I mentioned the hindrances. Um, and, and I really want to stress this point, I'll say it over and over. I am including that in jhana practice. By jhana practice, I mean a very big picture, uh, including the, the times when it's really not going well and those particular difficulties and how we um, relate to them and how we work with them. They are sometimes, like I call them, they are the dark, rich underbelly of jhana practice the hindrances, the stuff we really don't like. Um, they have their own gold. They deliver their own gold if I work with them the right way. And I would dare to say, if you spent a whole three weeks and you never made it to any jhana at all, but you got wise in relation to the hindrances, and I'll explain what I mean by that, this retreat would still be worth its weight in gold. Hindrances are life afflictions. They, can't, they don't just come in meditation. They, are, they affect our life. And to, be, have, to really know how to work with them and to be wise in relation to them, it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, bonus, a gift, a benefit. So that whole yucky side, the difficult side of practice, the hindrances, is just as valuable as the loveliness. Okay? And I'm, I'm not bullshitting when I say this. I, I really, really mean it. Um, if we can find open up some wisdom there, relate in, in a wise way. I'll say more about this, but two principal things, what I mean by wisdom, I'll repeat it later. It means that we don't believe the hindrances anymore. We don't believe the stories they spin. So if you can move towards not believing the hindrances, that's massive in your life. That, that's such a huge gift. 
if you can also move towards um, being okay with hindrances arising without it uh, having any sense of implication about yourself or your worth or your value as a meditator or uh, in other words you're not taking them personally not believing them, not taking them personally if you can move towards those two uh, kind of places or stances in relation to the, to the hindrances that is absolutely magnificently huge it doesn't sound so sexy, it doesn't sound so glamorous and glitzy and whatever, but it's in terms of what it delivers for your life, it's huge. So I'm including all that. It's part of the framework. Um, and again, uh, all this, what I'm saying now, implies something on, on a, in your practice. It implies something about your intention, it implies something about your view, it implies something about your attitude. So it will make differences in terms of moment-to-moment stances, views, perspectives, relationships, attitudes, heart qualities, etc. Yeah? So don't let it be just me, blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is part of you being on your toes. You're translating this. What does it mean in this moment now? Oh yeah, that's what does it, what does it mean to just turn around the whole view, open up the whole view of what we're doing? Yeah? Because how many, who has not heard a talk on the hindrances before? Who has not heard 10 talks on the hindrances before? <coughs> Who, monks, has not heard 100? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what we want is to change something. Change something. And the way we... Well, well, we'll get into the hindrances more later on. Okay. Okay. Let's broaden this, this from the hindrances. Let's open out right now to talk about emotions. In, in, and particularly... Uh, difficult emotions. On in the context of a jhana retreat, context, context, context. I really want to emphasise that we're in a certain, or rather, I want to, s- I want to emphasise, or offer a context for the whole of the path, and then place this retreat within that larger context. Okay. To me, I feel. Uh, fundamental importance, absolutely really strongly about it, our whole path, the movement we make, the opening, the learning, the development we make on the whole path, um, it needs to include a development, a deepening um, uh, of of our psychological awareness. Um, Certainly in relation to ourselves, but also in relation to others. Okay, and that's a whole big subject. To me that's part of the path. It's part of the path nowadays. Much more so, and we can talk about this another time perhaps or different than when the Buddha was alive we have different psychologies the whole sense of self is different the implication is the whole actually what liberation is is something different nowadays I'm not going to get on sidetracked by that but we can pick it up what it means is these days liberation needs to include a certain depth and breadth and uh, capacity and sophistication and sensitivity with regard to psycholog- what we might call psychological awareness of self and other. The whole path for me, and, and the way I would teach and portray the whole path, is it must include uh, within that emotional discernment and um, emotional capacity. The heart is big and can hold a lot, a lot. Uh, it has a range a whole range, emotional range, all kinds of emotions, not just these kinds. Um, that there's, in the, in the emotional discernment that's part to me of what an awakened 
being uh, has or does or is, um, that there's a tremendous amount of subtlety there with regard to the emotions and the discernment and the working with emotions. Also with regard to the emotions in the whole path, healing, that we, we, we are healing, we have healed, we understand that, we're capable of working with that. We can, I'm just making a list now, we can, we're perfectly happy regarding the emotions as real and having real causes and relating to them and caring to, for them as real entities with real causes. And we're perfectly happy regarding them as thoroughly empty and not real and having not being really caused by real things. There's a range of view. Um, and we're skilled in many different approaches and perspectives regarded, regarding the emotions. Okay, so this to me is the bigger context about, uh, in regard to emotions, on the whole of the path. You understand? Now we're on a three-week or whatever it is, 23-day jhana retreat. We're setting that, this retreat in context, in that much bigger context where we want all of that list of what I just said with regard to the emotions. Now, now for this three weeks, our first choice with regard to difficult emotions, uh, with regard to joy and things and peace, we'll talk more about this as we go on, but with regard to difficult emotions. Our first choice is simplifying, psychologically simplifying and letting them quieten or encouraging them to quieten. Now if someone does that, if that's their only relationship with the emotions for the whole of their path, I'm not okay with that. I'm really not okay with that. But if someone doesn't know how to do that and cannot move into that gear, I'm also not so okay with that. Okay. Um, when we allow the emotions, difficult emotions, to quiet, when we simplify all their complexity, and that complexity can be beautiful and, and very important at times, but on this retreat, this is, this is what we're doing on this retreat. This is, the, this is our primary, our first choice way of working, of relating. When we simplify and quieten them that way, there's still care there. We're not, we're not being hard or dismissive or uh, brutal in, in any way. There's still care there. So it's the, it's the first choice. It's not always. Uh, so we're not always. There will be th there's some other options and second choices there. It's a temporary preference set in a much bigger context. Do you, do you understand? Okay. Uh, some of you, I know, have been um, working very hard recently as activists um, in different areas. Um, some of you I know in regard to climate change and all kinds of things, extinction rebellion and things like that, climate change, species extinction, whatever it is. Um, and you may be, I don't know where you're at now, it's all very recent, it's all very much alive and in our faces. Um, you may still be uh, feeling that passion and that burning and there may be grief, I don't know. There may be some grief around all that. Um, it's around, it's up for a lot of people, I certainly, I, I feel it. Um, it's really important, that passion and that grief are really important. Um, some of you, uh, certainly in this country and maybe even other countries, might be feeling um, 
grief, m maybe even upset uh, at the recent election here. Um, you may, you may not. Um, uh, some of you, and again, I, I don't know. Some of you may be feeling grief in relation to me and my situation, my health, and probably dying, etc. And of course, there may be other things that you're feeling are are impacting the heart right now, difficult to bear. Uh, this sense of loss, of things falling apart, or, or whatever. Um, I want for you, I want for you that you, uh, related to what I said before, I want for you that you have uh, a really very wide and deep range of approaches for your soul. I want that for your souls. So that you're able to open to grief and, and really open, and, but you're able to hold it and hold it well. Hold it in a way that heals. I want that for you. And I also want that you can decide sometimes not to pick it up and insta instead go for the positive, uh, the, 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 the joyful, the, the, the jhanic direction, the quietening of emotions, um, which happens in jhana via joy anyway. You go through the bubbliness and the joy and then things start to quiet. So here on this retreat, although I want all this for you, here on this retreat, as I said, the, the latter approach is primary, is quieting. So this is a big deal. There's no danger, I think, if, if, if you're not sure, there's no danger of not being able to find the grief later. Okay? It's important to say this. If you, if you have three weeks where you make a certain, you tend to make a certain direction of choice, not pushing it away, not shutting it down, just I'm not, I'm not so much going there. Um, there's no danger that you won't be able to find it later on, if it's auth authentic, say grief or whatever, after the retreat. There's no danger that you're going to get locked in some kind of mode of relationship with your emotions or your heart, um, that you're kind of locked into this mode of sort of not feeling certain emotions. No danger at all, okay? Three weeks you can practice this uh, malleability. There's, there's no... Uh, there's, n there's no danger of those things. Again, we want the gift of flexibility, um, of range. Yeah. So I don't know right now. Um, yeah, let's take a few minutes, okay? I just want to just follow this up just for a few minutes. Um, if if there is something that uh, has affected your heart, is affecting your heart, something to do with loss, anything, uh, it could be in relation to nature, it could be in relation to social situations, could be a per personal relationship or whatever, so, or loss or impending loss, if something, you have some sense of something is falling apart or potentially falling apart, some grief, some overwhelm, if there's uh, something like that, just uh, let's, let's take a moment, just maybe come into a meditation posture, just, just for a few moments together, I want to do something. So it doesn't matter what it is, it also doesn't matter if there's nothing in particular, but it may be, as I said, that uh, your heart is impacted 
is finding it hard to bear what human beings are doing to the earth. To our own, uh, the ecosystem, the planet that keeps us alive and sustains our civilization, what we are doing to the other species. It may be there's a personal loss or, or, or the possibility of a personal loss, some relationship, someone you care about or love, or there has been that loss. It may be that you're feeling grief or dismay or anger at some of what's going on or what goes under the heading of political, but it's not really political, it's ethical. The rise of nationalism, racism, seeming corporate stranglehold on democracy. simply the prevalence of stupidity. And anything like that, just um, in your meditation posture, let the uprightness and the firmness of your posture help you. These are big deals. Big movements, big changes asking a lot of us. Let your posture help you. Open, grounded, upright. So bring whatever it is, or whichever ones of those, bring them to mind. Just bring them lightly to mind. You don't need to get into the whole story. Just get a sense of what is happening, what might be happening, and how it affects your heart, how it affects your soul. Let your attention and awareness include your whole body, the whole space of your whole body. That's your base, that whole space. Open up the awareness. You're letting that whole space be in touch with these challenges, these difficulties, these happenings, these developments. Upright, open. Just notice how your heart is right now. Whole body, keep that whole body space open. Keep opening the whole body. Don't let it shrink, it will shrink. Keep opening it. And feel your heart in response or how it responds to these situations, whatever it is. Let there be a little spaciousness, a little softness around your heart's response whole body. But then, not so much emphasizing the spaciousness or the softness, let that be there, but rather, how do I want to work? How do I want to live 
in response to this loss, this falling apart, whatever it is? How do I want to manifest in relationship to it? I'm not talking about the practical details, I'm going to do this, I'm going to sign up for that, I'm going to get a job doing this. I mean just the quality of being, the stance of being, the relationship, the resolve. Heart, soul, being. Whole body. What am I devoted to with all this that I'm potentially facing, that we are potentially facing? What am I devoted to? Again, it doesn't matter about the details. Can I get a, a sense of it in a way that makes a difference to my sense right now? It might be the Buddha. It might be the Dharma. Maybe you use the rupa at the front of the hall of the Buddha there. It might be a certain image that you've worked with. That's what you're devoted to. It might be something a bit more abstract, like goodness or beauty or love. Get a sense of what you're devoted to. So you're holding your body, your heart, the difficulty, and this sense of devotion. Can you sense that devotion in the body and in the way it shapes the body, in the way it energizes the body, in the way the body forms itself around it, in the way the body aligns with that devotion? Connecting body devotion heart, soul, body. Can you get a sense of how what your the sense of devotion actually energizes the body right now? In a stillness. There's a sense of resolve there. Can you feel it in the body space? Doesn't need we're not going into practical details. I resolve to do this every day, I resolve more the energetic sense of resolve, of devotion. Can you feel in the sense of devotion, in the body, in the sense of resolve, can you feel that there's strength there? And you feel it in the body. There's uprightness there. suppressing anything here but in this alignment of the heart and the mind the soul the being the body with what we're devoted to in relation to what is difficult the resolve and the devotion the energization uh, the uprightness this becomes a kind of minimum base of happiness a minimum base there's well-being in this state Equanimity is here. 
well-being, uprightness, energy, etc. In relation to what we said with this, um, uh, all the certainly with with regard to jhana work, this kind of basis of strength, of stability, of very base level of happiness there. And it transfers to our life, this, this, uh, for our work or whatever we're doing. It uh, builds our, expands our capacity to serve. Of course, the jhanas do as well. Okay. So you can just gently come out of that now. Do you get a sense of what I'm talking about here? Does it make energetic sense? Yes. So that was very quick. And there's one one possibility with with difficult emotions, and and so there's so many other skills, etc. Um, but this kind of thing, it's important, given. And I know some of you have come from a lot of busyness in uh, activism, etc., or whatever it is right now, and other other things that are going on. Okay. Kirsten, uh, sorry, which which one do you? Um, we'll move after you do your thing. just wanted to uh, say a very, very, very warm welcome. It's really lovely to sit with you here. Really, really enjoy it. And um, I'm so delighted, Rob, that after nearly two years, actually, this can happen. So I'm really very touched and oops, grateful and appreciative that Rob, after 16 years, wanting to teach this finally three weeks to do so. And really, really delighted, delighted to be here with you. So here we are landing together. So Rob gave each of us five minutes, so now I know my try my very, very, very best. <laughs> yeah, now he's a little <laughs> bit more gentle. So what I would uh, really like to speak a little bit about is how we create this container together. You know, and it's really so lovely for me to sit in this hall and already having a sense of being welcomed in this vessel of Gaia House. The support it gives, you know, something is, or at least in me, something feels really welcomed. You know, I can, I can relax already a little bit. Can you sense this? just arriving here. And also really um, appreciating, you know, what Rob alluded to, you know, that we all are participating in this. We are all contributing, we are all participating to enhance, to to make this vessel even, even more beautiful. You know, and we all need, we are all needed 
needed in this. We are all, all are active ingredients, important ingredients, needed to create these welcomed and appreciated ingredients. So really want to welcome you all into this. And I think one very uh, beautiful, beautiful ingredients is all those is shared intention of non-harming. This shared celebration of our moral sensibility, one could say, our ethical considerations. Like I think this is something uniquely human. You know, this is something that makes us human. So really inviting the exploration, the examination, this this territory of moral sensibility, one could say, is uh, is a way to celebrate our humanness. It's a way to celebrate that that what is precious uh, in the human heart. And traditionally, of course, as you all know, this this uh, moral sensibilities, this intention of non-harming, is expressed. In, in the five precepts, and I just will name them in a moment. You know, and I really just want to name them. I really want to just bring them in the room, into the room. I want to make them part of our, of our mandala here. And of course, you all are aware that, you know, there are somehow just headlines or gateways to actually a very powerful, very, very, um, actually quite unfathomable for exploration what it may mean to be alive. And as Rob said before, when we were speaking shortly up in the teacher wing, and they are great foundation for Samadhi. So where we can appreciate our heart, we can appreciate each other, and where we give this precious gift of safety, safety to each other. And thus they are. Listen. Step into it. Really see if you can step into this beautiful intention or this beautiful pathway of the intention they actually evoke. We together undertake the training to not intentionally harm or kill another human being. Resonate with the beauty of this intention, this point of reference. We together here undertake the training to not take what has not been freely given and to respect each other's property and respect to all that is given to us. We undertake the training to not harm another with expressions of our sexuality. This doesn't mean make my sexuality wrong. There is a moral statement. <coughs> but we give each other the freedom not to look at each other in this way so that, can, that we can be at ease 
in this way with each other. He undertakes the training to not intentionally hurt ourselves and others with our words. You know, and of course this might be mostly internal speaking. But we pay attention, how do we speak? You know, in our practice to ourselves and to each other. And we, under, we, we undertake the training, or no, we actually make the resolve. It's not a training so much. We take the resolve to not take any substances that cloud our mind because we really want to explore the depth what is uh, possible for this human consciousness. We want to explore, we want to inhabit, we want to uh, um, really know it deeply, you know, what is possible here. And of course, this doesn't mean that you stop taking any medication. You know, of course, look after yourself. So how, how does this ring with you? And when, when Rob was speaking, and I, I was just uh, sitting here a little bit, you know, first of all, to see already this appreciation in your faces, you know. Don't think it's a project. When Rob came in, you know, just like a lot of appreciation to be here with us and with him. And then also maybe having this sense for a moment to appreciate each other in our intention in our precious gift of that people can actually feel safe around us. <coughs> this precious gift of, non, uh, of the intention of non-harming. And delighting, you know, to be welcomed in a community where this is a shared intention, but also I think really, really important to delight in the goodness of your own intention, to delight, you know, that your heart actually feels really moved to incline itself in this way. Thank you. And really looking forward to practice with you. And May you all have a wonderful retreat with delights and joy. Hi, everyone really lovely to sit here together and I felt so much appreciation listening to Rob and being here together starting and embarking on this journey together a really really warm welcome from my side as well and at the same time with appreciation I can feel a sense of little bit of wobbliness sitting for the first time on this side in the 
hall of Gaia house instead of that side with you. But seeing all your friendly faces brings so much encouragement and I feel a sense of support and friendliness and heartfulness in the hall. So I'm very much looking forward to our time together journeying through the territory of jhanas and all the exploration and sharing and learning together. And I was just wishing to say a few words about silence. Silence that is such an essential part of this retreat container and also so much supporting what we are doing here together as we are exploring the mind and as we are creating conditions for the samadhi, for the silence of the mind also to deepen. And hopefully the silence can be also at the same time a resource for us that is really deeply nourishing our heart and mind. Can be almost like a companion on the journey for us, hopefully. And this is also something that we are cultivating and creating and nourishing together the kind of part of the container that we can be offering ourselves the silence and offering each other the silence, a gift of silence, which can really help ourselves and each other in becoming more sensitive and it's really so supportive. And hopefully we can still enjoy each other and feel each other's support as it was talked about. That we can support each other in the silence. And feel a sense of community. It would be so much more difficult to do this retreat by ourselves at home. So we were thinking that there would be a practical way to support our exploration, a practice, practice of supporting silence. And we are very much offering this possibility and also encouraging you to hopefully make use of that. And we will be bringing here a basket where you are very much invited and encouraged to bring and leave your mobile phones for the duration of the retreat. So you could bring the phone and mark it with your name and we will take care, care of the mobile phone and you will surely get it back in the end of the retreat. And this can be actually also part of this ritual of simplifying and renunciation and letting go 
and also for the sense of creating the condition that can support ourselves and each other to make most of this journey. So this basket will arrive here, um, I think right after, but it will be at least available until tomorrow morning. It's there. Thank you, Nathan. And you're very welcome to bring your little friends there and leave them with us. And I'm really, really, really ha happy and grateful to be sharing this journey together and meet you in the interviews and wish you all, all a very, very fruitful retreat. So we've already been sitting for a little while. I'd like to do a guided meditation, um, but I think we probably need to move a little bit. So why don't we take um, two minutes and just move your body however you feel like you need, whatever's going to be good, because we're probably going to be, you know, a little bit longer. So <coughs> we're going to sit. So just shake it, wiggle, stretch, whatev whatever it needs. Mm. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.